And now it's time for Eastcast and reports from coastal stations. East Utsira, West Utsira, South West Utsira and North North East Utsira. Wind South West, rain at times, good. Forties, fifties, sixties, Tyne, Dogger, German Bite, French Kiss and Swiss Roll. Westerly becoming cyclonic, good. Right here in London's East End. Operating at any level, any time, anywhere, and with anybody. Who are they? One might be your secretary, your doctor's receptionist, or a dancer in a go-go club. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Now, now, now. Hello and welcome back to Eastcast here on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB. Eastcast is a monthly delve into the arts, the culture and the community bubbling up in East London, but resonating way beyond this little corner of the planet. So wherever you're listening, good to have you with us. I'm Pearl Wise and I'm here with Katie Haler. Hello. And Johnny Virgo. Hello. And we're going to change your name, Johnny, today? Yeah, we have changed it already. Do I need to explain why now? Go for it. Okay. My name is being changed in honour of a very special campaign, which we'll talk about more later. But from today, my social media handle has gone to Joanna Virgo. So Johnny Virgo on Twitter is no more for today. It's Joanna Virgo because I don't know the feminine form of Johnny. I think Joanna, sounds good to me. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> um, so today, um, unless you've had your head in a paper bag, you will know that it's International Women's Day. And I'm glad to say that Eastcast has always been a totally balanced show, um, if not veering towards the female domination. But we have prepared a show that celebrates women in many, many ways. We certainly have. Uh, I will be reporting on a project up in Walthamstow that seeks to engage all members of the local community with nature. And later on, Sophia B will be playing live. So, And I talked to Eli Tatsu and Jelly Siganu, uh, two Greek women shining a light on Greek photography. And I eavesdrop on the rehearsal of a magic me um, piece called Decorum, uh, which is an intergenerational performance about the dilemmas of modern women. But first, we must welcome Maggie Pinhorn, who's uh, here in the studio from Alternative Arts. And she is going to tell us about Women's History Month in East London. Welcome, Maggie. Thank you. Um, So, first of all, Maggie, Alternative Arts, explain to us what what you do there. What what is it? An arts organisation very independent arts organisation, a totally not-for-profit arts organisation, like many, and we are always run by women. Right. So um, you've launched um, this Women's History Month. Um, Tell What's Women's History Month and why why have you done this specifically around East London? What's, What's the kind of goal for for this well women's history month actually is a very important project because it celebrates women artists activists performers and writers with a very powerful range of diverse events and exhibitions and it explores the history of women's struggle over the centuries to be recognized as equal to men 
So we were talking earlier about the fact that women have kind of been written out of history and this is one of the ways to kind of write them back in. Tell us oh, a bit yes. more so, about there's that. There's so many um, remarkable women that have been written out of history. I mean, I guess... Do you want me to give you just a couple of examples? Why not? Maybe? Yes. I mean, all right. One of my favourites at the moment is a woman called Plautilla Nelly. Um, and uh, she was a contemporary of Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci and Caravaggio and all those kinds of people. But she was just written off as just another nun with a paintbrush. But actually, she did utterly beautiful biblical paintings. And this year, 500 years after she was painting. She is to be celebrated in the Uffizi Gallery and get, take her rightful place there this March. Incidentally, Plautilla, excellent name. Johnny, I, I think we've missed a trick there. <laughs> it could have been Plautilla Virgo. Plautilla Virgo. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, Can we well, check? Oh, too late? No. I, I'm not sure how to spell Plautilla, so um, yeah. I'll tell you later. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but anyway, she's a very fine example of, you know, and she was nowhere in any of the um, Renaissance history books, absolutely not recognised. And similarly, um, only, uh, I think it was uh, earlier today, I, or yesterday, I was listening um, to this um, story of um, Fanny Mendelssohn. Oh, yeah. Another good name. I heard that. Yes, no, heard, yeah. Fanny Mendelssohn. I mean, uh, remarkable woman, amazing musician, composer, whose work has been hidden away, mm. uh, first of all by her brother, yeah. and secondly by another German gentleman who has been keeping her work, and this f woman filmmaker has um, discovered her and has got hold of her work and is going to make a whole film about Fanny Mendelssohn. But th these are just a couple of examples of hundreds of thousands of of women over the centuries who have just been cast aside because history, after all, is very subjective. It's not objective mm. at all. And um, mm. that really has been one of the problems to uh, make sure that we sort of get our equal place in society and in history. And uh, we, you know, recognise, to, to be recognised and not written out of history is really very important. So... Um you, you were talking uh, earlier to us when we were kind of um, prepping for the show. You, t you told us about your own personal experience of going to work in film and being the only woman there and being totally surprised, you know, at the time that, you know, there weren't other women in I I where you were working. Tell us a, a bit about that. You, you were just kind of flabbergasted about yeah, that. Yeah, I was, yes. I'd come straight out of art school and straight down into uh, Pinewood <laughs> Studios and I was working on, on, a, on a film. I was in the art department and I was the only girl. And I, I, I just arrived and there I was, very young, very sort of naive about everything and uh, I couldn't believe it. And also everybody expected that I must have a relative in the industry to be, yeah. even, to be there, which wasn't true at all. I'd absolutely slugged around the studios with my portfolio until I actually got a job, you know. And um, But when I asked if there were any other women around, they said, yes, there's one in the library. And this is true. I mean, there was a continuity girl on set, of course, and um, there were women in the films. But, um, no, a lot of it, it was a very interesting time. But then how it developed was that over a period of time, a lot of other women in the media who found themselves surrounded by men began to talk to each other and find out about what it was like. Um, and um, 
that was very much part of a vibrant women's movement in the 70s and I think that that's quite a you know and it's a great pleasure to see now the whole revival of the women's movement. Yeah I mean there has been this kind of renewed energy. Mm. Um, Why do you think that is? Why do you think there's sudden a kind of renewal of this um, you know that people talk about a new feminism or there's a kind of renewed like women marching and um, suddenly there's it, it sort of quietened down for a decade and now it's kind of bubbling up again. I think you've just got now a situation whereby women have become um, highly educated. Um, they've learnt that they absolutely enjoy work. Um, that it's not a question of them wanting to have it all. That m- that men need to share in the raising of families and so on, and uh, that they have to. They, they've got to find a way of getting themselves represented. Uh, because unless you are represented in government, in parliament, and whatever, um, in a, in a, equally, then you will always uh, be uh, be suffering as being tre- not treated equally. And I mean, after all, feminism is about gender equality. Yeah. So you're actually here today to talk to us about um, this Women's History Month, but also Women's Week, which you organise in Tower Hamlets. What's Women's Week? What what, what happens? Oh, well, that, that's what's so lovely about that is that uh, there's a lot of women's groups all over the borough in Tower Hamlets, and um, they... Um, are very, very diverse indeed. And so it's a question of working with them and helping them to um, celebrate during International Women's Week. So you have um, groups that are sort of... You have Bengali women, you have um, the Chinese society, you have the Somalis, Somali integration team, you have um, uh, city farms, all sorts of different groups on the in this area all over the borough um, learning to celebrate, celebrating and understanding what this year their theme that they've got is uh, women in public life so they have been um, looking at how hard it is to be a woman in public life and also looking at the women who are there now like um, people like one of our local MPs, Diane Abbott, and um, who's been currently speaking out about the terrible amount of racism and sexism that she's suffered during her career. But, and there are plenty of other women in those situations whereby once you do actually get there, um, how hard it is to be a woman in public life. Yeah, especially now with trolling, that seems to be the big issue with women in the kind of public realm. They just have, you know, this terrible, they have to deal with all this this horrible kind of social media um, trolling that happens. It just sounds like a nightmare, and really scary. It's just stunning. Why? I can't have a, it's an unfathomable thing, but then, of course, you have to have some analysis of how society is actually constructed, um, who really holds the power, where the power lies, and why... Um, I mean, I'm sure that probably men put up with this too, but not in such a high degree as women. Talking about power, um, earlier we were we were discussing today, obviously it's a big day, um, and some women have decided to go on strike today regardless of you know the jobs that they're doing um and i just wondered what you thought of the idea of striking how how effective do you think this could be as a political statement well it rather depends i mean i 
really understand about striking, I mean, particularly from the trades union movement point of view, where actually women are now quite strong and really well represented in the trade. In fact, there's more women trades unionists than there are men at the present time, which is an interesting thing. And women are, u- are using the unions as an area of where they can actually have some power. Um, but as for striking, like today... To as what you're referring mm, to, yeah. um, I'd love to know how effective that has been. Mm. Um, I'd be very interested to know. Uh, I mean, none of us sitting here are striking, are we? We're all we're doing <laughs> our work, um, and uh, we seem to think that it's important. But I, I think that I was much more taken with the idea uh, of the Women's Equality Party who are planning um, a Women's Day off next year. I like that. And I think the idea of that, whereby all women, whatever they're doing, whether they have to be you know, looking after their small children or working whatever kind of level of work or whatever it is they're doing, right, that the idea that they would have a day off... And that may actually be more appealing and also more effective because if you actually tell somebody, well, I'm having a day off and you will have to clean the toilet, you know, that's something that, you know, that may be more real. But, I mean, I, as I said, I'd be very interested to know to see how many women went on strike. Yeah, we'll have to kind of have a look at the stats and see how effective that was. Yeah. Um, so we're running out of time. So I just want to uh, get you back onto Women's History Month highlights. Uh, if there are kind of a couple of things that people should absolutely go to this month in East London as part of Women's History Month. I put you on the spot. No, what okay. um, I, I what do you fine. recommend? It's fine. There's so much stuff. I mean, there are over 65 events and exhibitions, um, including um, performance artists at the Toynbee Studios and so on. But one of the things I think is very interesting is that at the Rich Mix this weekend, there is the Arab Women's Artists Now Festival. And this actually seeks to um, there's there's theatre and visual arts music, film um, and it's all designed to promote female artists from the Middle East and North Africa who struggle to get their work acknowledged at a time when the Arab world is viewed primarily as a war zone so it's really relevant and I think it's very interesting and that would I would definitely recommend people support that Great, thank you, Maggie. And yeah, Nike have just brought out their first um, Nike branded hijab, which is uh, interesting. It's a whole other conversation, uh, what we think about that. But it's, uh, yeah, they're they're kind of jumping on the bandwagon a little bit, in my opinion. But, you know, that's uh, (laughs) at least it's a statement in some way. Um, So thank you so much, Maggie. Um, If anyone wants to find out about Women's History Month, in general, in East London particularly, where should they go? What? Have a look on the website. It's uh, info at alternativearts.co.uk. Okay, so that would be the email, so the website, alternativearts.co.uk. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Now, uh, regular listeners may remember that back in January, I took a little walk around some of East London's green spaces. Now, I hope you were impressed with me because it was extremely cold in January and uh, it's being a northern EC makes me hardy. She says, coughing all the way through poor Maggie's interview. Um, So with spring on the doorstep and the crocuses and daffodils starting to bloom, I decided it was warm enough to step back outside into nature. 
So I went to check out the site of what, when it opens to the public in September of this year, will be one of Europe's largest wetland centres. I met up with Community Engagement Officer Rachel Smith to find out what Walthamstow Wetlands, the naturalist's jewel in northeast London, will have to offer its local residents. Rachel, I'm standing on a corner um, of what looks like an industrial estate. I've just walked across from Tottenham Hale, across a very busy road with lots of cars and lorries and buses behind me. Why am I here? Those of you who live in Waltham Forest will know that there's traditionally been an industrial site opposite the ferryboat inn. I've certainly walked past it and thought, what is behind those closed gates? And um, For the first time in September of this year, this is going to be opened up to the public as Walthamstow Wetlands. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's absolutely beautiful. It's beautiful at the best of times, but it's sunny. It's even a bit warm. I know. <laughs> OK, so many years ago, people got together, mainly people from London Borough of Waltham Forest and Thameswater, and this idea has been in the offing for many years. Um, how wonderful it would be to actually open up this fantastic site uh, to the public. Three years ago, they actually applied for heritage lottery funding, which we got uh, £5 million, and that was when things really started to ramp up. So we're now working towards an opening this September. As well as the £5 million from the Heritage Lottery Fund, there's also been about £3 million from the main partners, uh, Thames Water and London Borough Walls and Forest. Uh, London Wildlife Trust, uh, who I'm employed by, are actually going to be delivering the project. So we're going to be managing the um, habitats for wildlife but we're also doing a lot of work around community engagement education um, it's really important to London Wildlife Trust that kids are re-engaged with their local environment and this is such an important site in that aspect because we're right in the middle of urban London here we're right in the middle of Haringey, Hackney and Waltham Forest one of the most densely populated areas of Britain and yet we have this amazing wild open space and you can hear now now that we're actually further into the site, all you can really hear is birdsong and a little bit of the building works going on. <laughs> I'm here with Steve Ayres, who's an established volunteer here at the Walthamstow Wetlands site. Um, and he's going to tell us a little bit about what to expect when we come to some of the buildings on site. Hi, Steve. Hiya. Where are we now? So we're standing by the Lee Valley Viaduct, which carries trains from Gospel Oak to Barking, and it runs past the Marine Engine House, which is going to have a swift tower on it. Swifts are crevice nesters, so they like to nest in old buildings, but because of the old buildings being demolished and new ones being created that don't have the crevices, um, we're building a tower here um, on this the Marine Engine House, Swifts can fly for up to 10 months on the wing uh, without landing, so they eat and they sleep while they're flying. And this is something we've only recently discovered last year by tracking swifts. 10 months? Yeah. So I think they deserve a bit of this construction work that's going on, don't that's you? Right. They'll be arriving at Walthamstow at the end of April, and they're an iconic bird of Walthamstow wetlands. So to attract them to come and nest, we'll have little speakers that will be playing swift calls um, so that they'll come in and uh, feel welcome in the tower. <laughs> I won't ask you to do an impression. We've actually just been interrupted in our interview by a very startled-looking fox that's just run uh, across the path of a, of a JCB. Tell us a little bit about these foxes then, Steve. 
So the foxes on this site get a very good diet compared to those that are eating from bins. These will actually be hunting uh, animals, other animals on the site. Um, so they don't suffer from mange as much as the ones you might see in, your, in, the, in the street. So they're a nice red colour and they tend to be quite confident as well. Because yeah, well, I can see. I mean, there's, there's a lot of construction noise going on yeah. behind us and they don't seem to be awfully bothered. Hi, I'm Ella Rothero. Um, I'm volunteer and um, a sessional worker for the London Wildlife Trust on the Walthamstow Wetlands Project. Um, I'm doing an MSc in nature conservation at UCL. The, there is growing research now on the benefits of um, being outdoors more and being in a natural environment. It's clear even just when we do our guided walks with the public and community groups um, after being on the site for like an hour, you can tell the difference in people. People are more relaxed and um, get really excited about seeing things and their sort of senses start going. They're picking up on different sounds and smells and sights. We've been visiting a few local schools um, and um, in fact I'm going to um, a school today um, the Ferry Lane Primary School and we're going to um, set the kids a writing project they're going to design a leaflet for the Walthamstow Wetlands Project um, they love seeing all the pictures of the different animals and trying to have a guess at what they are um, and they all seem really really looking forward to opening um, I think it will be an amazing resource We really want to reach out to all local communities uh, we want people to feel that this is their site this site was traditionally seen as a space where Bird watchers and fishermen um, use this site and they were mainly male. It was really important that we got women onto this site and feeling engaged with it before the site opens in September. So a lot of my role has been about getting women's groups onto the site, uh, different faith groups, uh, refugee groups, um, elderly people, people with disabilities, so that they can come and have a free tour of the site with myself um, and really feel um, that this site is really special to them to them so we're just crossing a bridge over the copper mill stream which carries water across the walthamstow wetlands site the water is very clean because as the water goes through the reservoirs the sediment and silt sinks to the bottom of the reservoirs and this water comes through pipes and it flows all the way down um, to the copper mill water filtration plant on copper mill lane um, it was originally built as a mill race and it's been here for about a thousand years. In the summer, because the water's so clean, it's a great environment for and habitat for wildlife. You can see all the way to the bottom, which is um, not something you can say about all the water in London. And you can see over here, on the island over here, this is what we call the Heron Island. This is the largest heronry in London. Um, and it's based here in Waltham Forest. At the last count, there was probably about 125 breeding pairs of herons that nest on this island. And at the moment, it's a really good time to actually come and visit because you can see that they're starting to make their nests. And often you can hear their really kind of loud, rackety, clackety sounds that they make. And you can see them flying in with sticks for their nests. There must be a bit of a dichotomy, Rachel in London, in such an urban area where there's just construction project after construction project. What justifies keeping Walthamstow wetlands as a natural environment? It's actually a really special space because it's actually a water supply site. It will remain a Thames Water operational site. 
and we actually get quite a lot of our water in London from this site, probably about 30%. So it's really important for Londoners, but also it's a real opportunity to be able to kind of re-engage with nature, and there are not many sites in this area of this size and this magnitude When you're in the middle of this site, it really feels like you're in the countryside. Yes, you can go to parks in London, but it's not quite the same as having this kind of really wild, open space uh, where you can really kind of get some calm in our busy, urban, hectic lives. And if you'd like to find out a bit more about Walthamstow Wetlands, you can check out our Twitter feed for details. Unfortunately, construction works mean that guided walks of the space are a bit limited at the moment. But if you're in a community group and you'd like a tour of this amazing place, get in touch with Rachel uh, at at Wild uh, Walthamstow or um, the project website. Thanks, Katie. So from wildlife to wild women um, or women (laughs) behaving badly should I say. Um, I met uh, Kate Hudson and Sue Mayo as they were rehearsing with a group of women aged from 14 to 80 uh, for Decorum, a participative performance piece that explores etiquette and behaviour expectations for women today. creative work with communities there's a big emphasis on always working with young people about the future and always working with older people about the past and I think the meeting place that is the most beneficial is the present and I think it's a terrible assumption to assume those two positions because lots of older people love thinking about the future lots of young people love thinking about the past and to confine people to those two roles in creative work is such a shame and I think what's great about the work with Magic Me is this focus on themes which everybody can access right now in their lives and it doesn't depend on this kind of big stretch where you're just always emphasising the difference in age instead of emphasising the commonalities. The man always opens the door for the woman. Or man, if they seem to be vulnerable, the man, the man or the woman offers a seat on public transport to any man as the need arises. The I'm Kate, I'm the programme director at Magic Me. Magic Me is a Tower Hamlets arts organisation and we work with bringing different generations together, so intergenerational arts. Uh, I'm Sue and I'm the lead artist on this particular project. We've brought together a group of women aged between 14 and 83 is our oldest member to think a bit about the question of what we're calling decorum so we mean things where it's not defined by law and it's not 
defined by written rules, which everybody knows about, but it's kind of the unwritten rules in society about behaviour. And we think that there are a lot of rules that really apply particularly to women. And some of them are quite old-fashioned now, but they've clung on. Um, there are things that are expected of women that are about behaviour. And you don't really know that you've got them wrong until the moment you get them wrong. And then you know that somebody expected something differently of you because you're a woman. And we think it's a great thing to think about with a group who are not only different generations, but they're also from different faith communities, from different ethnicities. And so they bring with them really interesting stories about the changes in expectation of behaviour, but also things which they've inherited and they, they still believe are really important. Has there been a common thread that everyone's agreed on? That there's like one kind of behaviour that applies to women, that applies across generations, ethnicities, faiths. It's just that's what you have to do when you're a woman, that's how you have to behave. I think there are two things that have come up a lot. One of them is about physical space and about women being expected to occupy smaller physical space than men do. So the classic one of the tube came up how you sit down between two men who are sitting with their legs apart and the fact that it's expected that you will squeeze into that tiny space and not do the same yourself that's been quite a a common theme and I think the second one has been about voice and whether women are expected to speak up or if it's considered rude when a woman is very loud and very, very clear about what she wants, very demanding, but it's seen as very positive when a man does that. I would say, though, that we've also talked lots and lots about the strength of women. So I think it, it definitely hasn't only been a complaining project, a, a kind of a project where people spoke about what they suffer They've also spoken about the importance of what women can do and what women, women are doing. We're taking this to the Women of the World Festival, the WOW Festival at South Bank Centre on Sunday the 12th of March. Um, and it's turning into a performance but also a conversation with the audience, so to collect even more dilemmas from all the women and men who will be in the audience that day. We are hoping to repeat this project next year and to involve even more women from across England and, and create essentially a guidebook for 21st century women of all ages. We work with connecting schools, with community groups, but also we work in care homes. So we do artist residencies in care homes and we also do a programme called Cocktails in Care Homes, which is bringing young volunteers into care homes on a monthly basis to run cocktail parties. Often we find lots of people are really intrigued by intergenerational work and actually want to have those conversations with people of a different age to them. I think um, we all live within our own bubbles and our own schedules and there's not always the opportunity to meet people who are different to yourself, either in age or um, in faith and culture as well. So what Magic Me does is bring people together who are different in, in all ways and really seeing what we can do and what we can create together. Recently, projects that we've done with Magic Me are our artist residencies in care homes. So that was we worked with four different arts organisations and really supported them um, and their practice 
practice in a care home. So we worked with Punch Drunk, Upswing, or a circus performance group, um, Ducky, um, and also the performance artist Lois Weaver as well. And um, all of the um, organisations and artists that took part in that are really excited to continue to be working in care homes now. I love working across generations because right from the beginning everybody knows that their assumptions are going to be challenged and that's a a really wonderful energy to have in the room that you know that every week somebody who thought that a person of 60 only did this or that a girl of 14 who's a Muslim only did that, that those assumptions will be challenged. And I think it makes it a really, really creative space because once you know that other people are going to surprise you, I think you get better at surprising yourself. So people begin to take more risks and it becomes a really, really creative space. And we didn't know what they were going to think about this idea of decorum at all. And uh, I think it's been fascinating hearing their stories and wonderful hearing. In the first week, we heard from everybody what they had most been told off for in their life. And we just heard brilliant stories about people climbing trees and uh, one of the older women used to pinch her brother very hard. And it was actually great starting with bad behaviour and a, a fantastic way to learn about each other. The, the young women know that there are going to be a group of older women and the older women know there's going to be a group of young women. But actually, very quickly, you realise they're not a group. They're, they're, they're lots of individuals and they, they happen to have something in common. But actually, the discovery of how different they are from one another I think is, is fantastic and I think it's something I hope people take out from this room into the wider community, that when we are told something about a group of people, we can understand that no group is homogenous. There's always massive difference in a group. And I think that's, that's such a delight. And I also think everybody loves hearing stories about one another. And it feels like it's almost a kind of safe space amongst women as well, so people can open up a little bit as yes, well. Yes, yes. I think that, I think there are conversations that that come up which wouldn't come up in other situations and one week we were sitting quite quietly in a circle thinking about how the session had gone and one of the girls said well where does the objectification of women come from where did it start and I thought what an amazing question at 5.20 when you've had a whole day at school and, and what was wonderful was that people responded and said, well, this is where I think it came from. And she was really pleased to hear from other people what they thought about that very big question. From the time that you've been working at Magic Me, working in this kind of intergenerational way, is mm. there anything that's kind of most surprised you or you've just started thinking about things in a different way? There's something around the assumption of what art people want to create or that the assumptions of what art people want to access so older people not necessarily want to have a sing song around a piano actually bringing in punch drunk and doing some immersive theatre with them or having a trapeze artist go in and work with them that's completely pushing the boundaries of your assumptions and the same with young people as well they don't necessarily want to work with the art forms that you think they've 
would want to. And I think that's really important. So it's challenging perceptions of each other, but actually what art they might want to create together. Great. I think that's the perfect place to finish. Thank you so much. Decorum will be f- performed at the Women of the World Festival at South Bank on Sunday the 12th of March at 12.30 noon. That, uh, yeah, not midnight, obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Joanna. <laughs> oh, Joanna, today, well, um, we've got a privilege here today. We're having the London-based singer-songwriter Sophia B, who is going to uh, play some of her tunes for us today. Is that right, Sophia? And we're also going to have a little chat about her music, her activism, and some of the things that she's been getting on with. So a little bit about her. Sophia grew up in an artistic and international home. She's got a a really interesting background. And I hate to use that phrase, she's got a really interesting background. But she really does. So we're going to talk about it. Um, Yeah, well, let's start. Your father. Let's talk about your father, young lady. He was a... um, How was he an influence on your music? Um, well, my dad is the Lebanese side of me. He's Lebanese. And he grew up um, playing blues guitar. Um, and he was in a blues band that, as a teenager, that still gets played on the radio sometimes, actually, with a blues legend. Sorry to interrupt. Is that in Lebanon? Is yeah. There, is there a huge blues scene in Lebanon that huge. I'm completely unaware You're of? You're completely unaware of it. Like, it's absolutely incredible. Wow. You have to remember that in, in the Middle East, improvisation is such a huge part oh, of their culture. Yeah, of so blues hits really home with Arabic culture yeah that's, so, yeah oh that's great and what about your own musical journey did you get into music obviously at home uh growing up or when when what have what have been your stepping stones I think I kind of wanted to follow in my dad's footsteps and learn guitar at around 13 even though I pretty much self like was self-taught it was because mm-hmm. I wanted to follow his footsteps and then when I was about 14, 15 was when I started writing songs and stuff. Did he know? Yeah. yeah oh, right. So, oh, no, I'm, I wonder if it was one under the stairs, you know, like in the little, in the cupboard away from dad, trying to. I mean, I think I definitely kept my parents up late in the night with all my, you know, <laughs> frantic songwriting. So bless them <laughs> for them. Okay. So you're playing at home, but where, how did you get to the level you are now? You, obviously, you're an accomplished songwriter with two great projects that we've got here that I'd like to tell people about later how did you what are the stepping stones that got you from there to well here? it actually all started out at the five-week program at Berkeley College of Music I was 16 when I went and okay. it was just a five-week summer course and I was so obsessed with it that I applied for Berkeley um, and I was accepted with a scholarship which pretty wow. much made me like say that's it I need to do music and I've never really looked back since like it was a amazing amazing experience you know some bumpy moments here and there because I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease along the way Um, but I still graduated on time you know used that as an inspiration in my songwriting like it was a really life altering period of my time like of my life it was absolutely incredible but out of that life-altering period we get uh some great art so yeah. which of these projects would have come out of that time is it once upon a time 
Yeah. By the way, for our listeners who cannot see, I'm holding a CD, which has a very <laughs> flattering picture, not flattering, wonderful <laughs> picture here of Sophia that says Once Upon a Time. And this has one of the songs that we're going to hear on it today, doesn't it? Yeah, that's right. Which one? So I'm going to be playing um, Mama Like a Girl. Um, it's a really, really special song to me. Um, it's not my real coming out story, but it's my ideal coming out story. Um, and yeah, it's gotten quite quite a lot of press like on LGBT magazines and stuff like that, but as well as other stuff, which has been really cool. I think um, you've been very modest there because I've been reading up on you. And you found, <laughs> uh, you've got press on Curve magazine, She Wired, Diva magazine, and you were selected as a finalist for Pride's Got Talent. Yeah, exactly. What's, what was Pride's Got Talent all oh about? Oh my gosh, it was absolutely incredible. It was like a competition where we got the opportunity to play at Trafalgar Square, the main stage. Alicia Dixon sang. Um, I made some incredible friends. There's actually a video of me playing it live. And my mum was in the audience, which just made it even more amazing. And people started clapping along with me toward the end. Brilliant. So it made it really hard not to cry. <laughs> oh, gosh. But it was, it was a really special experience. Okay, could you tell us a little bit more about the song Mum, I Like a Girl? Yeah. Um, it... Actually, I wrote it while I was at Berkeley um, and my teacher at the time was running Songs for Social Change. And she was like, you have to apply, you have to write something. I was like, no, 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 I don't know, I don't know. And then all of a sudden, from one day to the next, I just had the song and it just sort of happened overnight. And it's just one of those songs that happens really quickly. And I really love it. It's one of my favorites. I hope that doesn't sound self-obsessed, but yeah, no, it's but really a special what's, what's one. The, what's the subject matter of the song? What's it about? It's about falling in love and wanting to share that experience with your parent and, and saying, you know, this is a positive thing. It's I think it's relatable to anyone, even if you're not gay or lesbian or wherever you are on the spectrum i mean telling your parent you're with someone and you love them and you might want to marry them is quite a scary thing <laughs> i think in general okay so, yeah no well is there any chance we could persuade you to to share either that or any song you care to play for us now yeah i'll play you mama like a girl and dedicate it to my mom who's listening <laughs> all right brilliant thanks very much sophia b I think, yes, I think about my girl Oh, how she rocks my world Yes, I could grow old with her She holds my hand, holds my hand When I drink too much She's my heart, she's my heart She's my stash of luck Can't you see my knees are weak Little sighs help me sleep. Can I be tired? You always taught me that love was right. Never knew that certain kinds of love would break us up and make us fall apart. I think I fell in love You probably think, probably think I'm not old enough 
this It took too long to grow into me What do they say, do they say when I hold her hand I'm just as good, just as good as a man She fits just right next to me Yes, I tell you, she's my Thanks, Sophia. Um, so I understand that you're playing in London soon. When are you next playing? I'm playing at the Siegfried von Underbelly, I believe is the name of the place. I can never get it quite right. It's in Hoxton, I believe, on yeah. April 26th um, at 7.30. It's a Wednesday with the lovely folks at Hotbox. So that's going to be good fun. Brilliant. And we should explain that I've changed my Twitter handle today and it's <laughs> it's because of something that you're pushing forward. What's that? Yes, absolutely. So I'm here in support of Laid Bear, who are running a campaign called Take Her Name, um, which is about raising awareness for w equality for women in the music industry. Um, <clears throat> there's a very, very interesting article that Sula May has written on the matter. Yeah. I think PRS have 13% female writers, which is just really mental to think about. Yeah. Um, and obviously I went to Berkeley and the ratio between male to female, uh, male to females in, in the classroom was pretty eye-opening and kind of intimidating. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's a really important issue that, that needs to be addressed and people continue need to raise awareness for it and fight oh, for equality. So you're asking male artists, and I'm a rapper, full disclosure, <laughs> you're asking male artists to change their Twitter handle to a female version of their mm. name. So today I am Joanna Virgo today, so that's why people are calling me that. Legend. All right. <laughs> um, so thanks very much. Are you going to play a second song for us today? 
I am indeed. Is this something from, I believe, from your latest project from In The City, this yeah. EP? Okay, what are you going to play for us? Oh, sorry, if you need no, to chill down. I think it's all right. That's not. Well, this is from the new CD that you've got here. I'm holding it. It's got a beautiful, cheery sun on the front. Yeah. It's called In The City. And which song are you going to play from In The I'm City? I'm going to be playing Give My Body. Um, it's one of my favourites off the track. And I might be making a remake with Rami, one of the founders of Laid Bear, which should be cool. Brilliant. So this is Give My Body. Cool. Oh, it kills me to watch you hurt To watch you forget how much you're worth I've seen how many times you lost your way And all the times you had to pay Just know that I've seen all the love All the love that surrounds you from the gods above Swear that if I could, I'd give you it all Twitter and what's the best way to check your stuff out? So on Twitter and Instagram, it's official Sophia B with an F, Sophia with an F. Okay. <laughs> and you can find me on um, Facebook as well, facebook.com forward slash Sophia Music page. So yeah, that's my socials. And my website, sophiabmusic.com. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks very much, Sophia. Thanks, Sophia. So um, I met Ellie um, Satsu and Jelly. Uh, Siganu from the from White Life Editions, a platform dedicated to promoting photography by Greek artists. My name is Elie Tatsu. I'm from Greece. I've been born in Athens and I was raised there. 
I came to London in 2010 to study my master's and ever since I've been mostly living here. This year I've been going back and forth. Um, I spend my time between Athens and London, but I am basically based here. I work as a freelance photographer and White Light is our side project with Gelly. So I'm Gelly um, I'm from Athens as well. I was in London a few years ago for a year. Uh, I studied uh, my master's as well, but I went back to Athens. And um, since then, I've worked in, uh, as an editor in magazines and online shops. And now I'm working in a fashion brand in Athens. And yeah, What Light is our first project together. Yeah, she has a very sharp eye, I should add. <laughs> White Light is a platform, a curated platform for uh, contemporary Greek photography. Uh, it started a year ago, more than a year ago, mm. I think, yeah. In December 2015, we launched the, the website. So you focus on Greek photography. Other than the place that they come from, what's the link? Mm. <laughs> um, I think there are some certain common elements. However, for us, it's um, a bit early to, you know, make a conclusion that photography is all about this in Greece. But I think the light is very uh, common in their works, um, and of course, some places, um, the social environment as well that has um, influenced, you know, the works. Uh, although we didn't really start it because we wanted to reveal what's the common thread. We're just mostly interested in the fact that there was no other place where someone could browse and see Greek photographers. Um, so it's just basically a project of bringing all these people together, together yeah. rather than saying that this is what Greek photography is about at the moment. So tell us a little bit about the exhibition here. Uh, yeah, so maybe three months ago, we got this amazing email from the guys at Shed. We were sending out our newsletter, a uh, monthly newsletter of highlights of the works that we had included on the website, and they responded to that saying that they really liked what they saw on the website and they were very kind to invite us for some kind of showcase in their own space here in London. So we said, let's just try and do something here. So Gelly and I were at the same time working on uh, rebranding, in a way, the website, like making it anew. So we thought it's a good opportunity to kind of sync these two launches together. And we started working on what could be interesting for us to show in a physical space because we have never done this before. And what we did is that we selected 12 photographers, I am the 13th, whose works we really liked and we have been observing their progress throughout this year and a half now. Uh, so we think that there is some consistency in their portfolios and the works are always of, of you know, kind of a very, very nice, um, coherent standard. And we chose one work from each one of them that has to do mostly with the space and how much we could fit in the gallery here at Shed. And we printed out one print and we are showing this as our first, in a way, attempt to bring this in a physical space. This episode of our radio show falls on International Women's Day. Uh -huh. So it's a nice coincidence that you are both women. So I'd like to kind of touch on female photographers and is there a difference and what it's like to, you know, be in that world from a female position from your personal experiences. So yeah, this is something that we have noticed so far that it's more easy to find men 
who practice photography than women. I mean, I'm, my opinion is that doesn't really matter sometimes. I mean, I'm, I look for the photograph. I don't look for the, you know, if it's a man or a woman. But it's interesting to see, mm -hmm. like, why women are not that active, I should say. Yeah, it's true. Even in the show, it's just um, two women and 11 men. men. That had to do with how much work we could find. We would ideally want to have balance and obviously showcase more women. It's just that it happens to be a little bit more difficult to find very strong, consistent portfolios coming from women. What do you think is preventing women from taking photographs? I don't see any physical, yeah. mental yeah. reason. Well, this is a really interesting question and a very tough one. And me, myself, I mean, being a photographer as well, it's a challenging question. I don't really know. I, I don't want to take any stance on this matter because it's a very sensitive topic and I, I wouldn't want to generalize. I, just, I can just say that um, as, let's say, the editor of this project, looking at some hundreds of portfolios we've seen so far, has just proven that there are more submissions from men and generally the outlook of the works is that yeah the women's portfolios are not maybe so many and sometimes not so consistent I, I really don't know why I, obviously I don't see any factor that could be the main reason why this is happening and I would love to see more mm. do you think it's something about confidence I hope not because, I, I mean, we, we are focusing mostly on fine art photography. So that has to do with expression. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes um, I have had this discussion with some photographer uh, friends who work as freelancers. Sometimes when it comes to a commission, it might be that you might be asked to do a lot of, let's say, heavy weight lifting or travel to some remote place with a lot of equipment. And then sometimes that could be, for some reason, in the mind of editors or commissioners, a reason not to choose a team of only women. But when it comes to fine art photography, it's just your expression. It's just you and your camera. You're free to go you know, out there in the world, take take your photos, make your photos, <laughs> and then just communicate them with the world. I don't see any physical aspect. I, I really don't, don't know how to answer this question. I just hope I could see, could discover more. At this moment, we already run a project that has some kind of um, specification. It's not just contemporary photography, it's contemporary Greek photography. And that happened because we... At some point back then in 2015, we realized that people were looking for contemporary works coming from Greece, photographic works coming from Greece, and it wasn't easy for them to find. So we took this leap and we thought that, okay, let's just try to bring all these people together. We have already narrowed quite a big pool of works down to a specific pool of uh, photography. Now adding an extra layer of, and also I mean an extra layer of just focusing on female photographers on top of what we already do, that would be I guess too much. And then also I don't think that this has to do with only one region of the world because we, we basically, we are here because of white light. So I don't think that this has to only do with women photographers in Greece are only underrepresented 
we are very open and in our website we have open submissions and we communicate this with everyone. We are not an exclusive member, membership only platform. So we just, you know, crave to see portfolios. It just happens that we don't find them or get them. Yeah. And there is sometimes, I don't know if, if you would agree, but focusing so much on gender could, could work the other way around. It could stereotype the gender and kind of say that, I don't know, I can, I can read it both ways. I would rather just be open to humans and just say, yeah. if you do your work and if you feel that this is your expression and you want to communicate it, just share it with us. When we started out, we had to figure out a way to, to filter through the, the submissions or filter through our research. And we used to say with Kelly that our main criterion is to see the devotion in the portfolios, the dedication of the artist in his work. So this, we tried to keep this factor as the leading factor of our selection. It has to do with, I guess, devotion to photography. We have 13 really uh, great uh, photographers from Greece with us. Uh, not everyone will be attending, but their works are here, so they're here in spirit. And it's just worth having a look around what's coming from that side of the world right now. We just call it White Light Showcase because it's the first physical exhibition of works by White Light. And it's not really an exhibition, it's a showcase. So the works don't come together under a very specific theme. It's just a way for us to open up and introduce what we do to the world, in a way. So it's called White Light Showcase at the Shed, London. It opens on March 2nd and the show will run until March 31st. We could say that there is a little bit of a common thread that we thought keeps all the works together, and that's a feeling of transience and imperfection that communicates beauty nevertheless. So we hope that the 13 works shown here will just bring this very tender feeling to the viewers. And our website, where the story continues, <laughs> is uh, called wildlighteditions.com, and it comprises of two bits, the editions, which is our store, and rooms is the second section, which showcases works by, for this month, by the photographers who are participating at the show. So, a lot to explore. So, um, the white light uh, showcases Greek photography and is at Shed Studios. Um, their exhibition is in Haggerston uh, until the 31st of March. And uh, it, we're nearly at the top of the show now, but I just wanted to say thank you so much because this is actually my last show. So uh, Eastcast will be resonating in Cambridge with me, where I'm going to be. So thank you to everybody for making it so fun. Bye. Thanks, Katie. It's been a pleasure having you. And it's time to say goodbye. Eastcast will be back soon on Resonance 104.4 FM with more sounds and stories from East London and beyond.